This is the Daily Coaching Podcast, bringing you thoughts, discussions and expert insight into all things football and coaching. So I kind of like got through in at the deep end. I got to coach against Manchester United and Mourinho was the coach. I get to do what I love every single day. In today's episode of the A Manager Journey series, I am joined by current USL Championship and future MLS side Sacramento Republic head coach, Mark Briggs. Now, Mark has previously managed a number of teams throughout the American divisions. We talk on his transition from player to coach, how the journey in America began, what has influenced his coaching and playing styles, some of his most memorable experiences to date, including being the 2017 USL Coach of the Year. This conversation shares a story of one of the fastest growing clubs and in-demand managers in the American game. So therefore, let's get into it. Can you start us off by explaining how you got into football um, and then taking us through that journey of where you're currently at now? Yeah, mate. Uh, first of all, thanks thanks for having me on. Um, appreciate you giving me the time to to talk and uh, talk about my journey. So now it's, um, I guess it started, uh, I'm from Wolverhampton, uh, up in the West Midlands. And um, I was pretty much just born into born into football. Uh, my, my dad played, my, my uncle played uh, semi-professional and lower levels of the game. Um, so my, I grew up, my, my youngest childhood memory of the game was, you know, going to being my dad taking me to watch my uncle play. Okay. Uh, watching my uncle play um, every Saturday, every Sunday. That was kind of my earliest, you know, recollection of being around the game, being around like players, being around going in the changing room with my dad and, you know, all the, all the boys giving high fives and all that, like, you know, so just kind of uh, fell into it from him from an early age and just loved it. Um, and then start, as I grew older, started playing myself, always with a ball, uh, always running on the field at half time, kicking the ball in the goal. Do you know what I mean? Those types of things. Um, and then started playing myself and uh, started playing on a team when I was five or six, I think my dad put me on a team. Uh, just a local team and just playing with my mates and just, you know, just having fun. Uh, then realised I was all right at it and just, you know, carried on carried on playing it. And uh, then it comes to played with my mates until I was like 12. And then, you know, clubs start sniffing around if you're doing okay, I guess. Um, and then a few clubs started sniffing around, go, went to training with them Um Dad driving me all over the country <laughs> uh, to go to these trials, and and then ended up um, signing with West Bromwich Albion. So uh, signed there, came through the came through the system there, which was a little bit of um, a dubious decision because all my family are Wolves. Oh, um, <laughs> I'm a Wolves fan myself as well. So at the time, it was like, why, why is he signing? Why are you making him sign for the Albion? Um, but my old man's old school and uh, he shook hands with the uh, West Brom Academy director at the time, John Truick. Uh, he shook hands with him and that was that. 
that was uh, in my dad's mind. It's done, done and dusted. And that was that. I, I went to West Brom. Um, and then was fortunate and went through like the went through the whole system at West Brom. Um, got in and around the first team. Never quite broke through onto the scene. Um, always like got in and around it and got close, and then never quite managed to break in properly. Um, and then went over and played in Denmark for a few years. Uh, came back from Denmark and signed at Notts County, then at Shrewsbury Town. And then kind of just chased it, you know, just chased the dream and try, kept it alive and flirted around like semi-professional football, non-league football, just going from club to club, um, just chasing it all the time. Um, then got a phone call to got a phone call to come out to America from um, a friend of mine, Stuart Riddle. And he just said, hey, look, Briggsy, like, can you come out and have a few games? I'm coaching a team. And it was just in a summer league called the PDL. And he said, but it'll be good for you. You'll get your name about, people will see. Um, and they might open a few doors. So I was like, ah, yeah, why not? So went out for the summer, like left in um, April. And then it was over by August. Um, so it was just really short, do you know what I mean? But it was great for me, met a lot of people, made a lot of connections, um, and then came back home, got an offer um, the following couple of months later to go the following year to play in the USL with Wilmington. Um, and then played in Wilmington for a few years, ended up starting, um, played in Wilmington, sorry, went 2009, and then they went bump, of course, <laughs> my luck. So they disappeared uh, 2010. So I ended up going out to Malta for two years, played in Malta for two years, um, and then came back to America, played for another few years and started to started to actually enjoy the other side of it, the coaching part of it. Yeah. So got into like youth coaching and then it progressed and was assistant manager, was head coach, and then, uh, and then went to RSL Rail Salt Lake. And then now find myself uh, out here in California at Sacramento Republic. Um, so it's it's been an interesting journey. It's been a different journey, uh, but it's been one that I, I wouldn't change. Nice. I, I think as well. So like you know, think about the earlier stages before we get onto the later parts. But like you say, it's an incredible journey. And um, you know, when I when I found out about your journey, I thought it's a big credit to you in terms of like you said a minute ago, chasing the dream. And, you know, you've gone literally wherever it may need to be to play the game, which you love, and obviously now coach the game and manage the game, which you love. Um, like you said, obviously, when you first started out, especially nowadays as well, you get a lot of um, children getting involved within teams at such a young age, like you said, about five, six years old. There's obviously a lot of development centres and also these pre-academies now, which have popped up where, you know, you're looking at six, under sixes and under sevens of professional clubs um but you know when for you i know you said obviously you do you get a few clubs kind of sniffing around and you know that obviously must give you a bit of a buzz as well but when you was kind of playing in your sort of like your local grassroots teams and with your friends when yeah. did it kind of um change for you in terms of thinking to yourself do you know what actually i do really want to try and make it as a footballer or was that kind of always the passion I guess it was it was always always the passion, always the dream, but it was never I give a lot of credit to my dad to be honest. Because yeah. like when I go back to England now and like you're in the pub with your mates and like 
I can relate to, I can talk to them about, like, I remember when we played in the cup final, like, back in, you know. Yeah. Uh, do you know what I mean? And I can relate, and that's that's nice for me. Because uh, the one thing my dad did, I guess clubs started sniffing around, like, probably from eight years old. Yeah. Um, but my dad, like, would always say, no, nah, he's staying here, he's happy, he's just yeah. going to play. Um, and he, he pulled me aside when I was... I think I got to just turn 12. It's 11 stroke 12. And he said to me, like, look, what do you want to be? You know, do you want to be a player? We can go and look at these clubs, but you have to understand it becomes serious now. Yep. Um, And then I never ended up actually signing for a team for another year until I was 13. Um, And he just let me play. And I look back now and I, I, I really respect that. Yeah, because there's there's so much pressure put on kids at like such a young age, and you you lose the enjoyment. They they lose that you know the fun elements, just going out and having a good time, playing the game you love. Yeah, there's so much pressure now, and even for the parents, the parents are like, got to be a professional footballer. He signed for Manchester City at eight years old, and oh, he's going to be a pro. He's going to be a millionaire. We, our lives changed, and it just just doesn't work that way. So like I, I give my dad a lot of credit for allowing me to to have a childhood almost, uh, and actually just have fun and just enjoy playing. Yeah, I think I think that's so important. That's kind of why I asked that because I mean, don't get me wrong. As a child, I think any child, boy or girl who plays football, you know, the long term vision would be, wow, I wish I could do that one day, and I wish I could make a career out of it. But like you just said, the problem is, is that whether it be parents or whether it be clubs themselves. They do, they swim around like sharks and and they see the vision almost before the children do. And the problem with that is, is that, you know, don't get me wrong, potentially parents, obviously, because they know the children themselves or clubs because they've been through experiences of dealing with different players. They obviously have a bit of a better eye than the individual child themselves to see that they've got maybe got ability or talent. But I often say to quite a lot of parents when they talk about um, even going from a grassroots club to a academy or, or pre-academy, I say that there's a mixture of three things. Now, there is no obviously magic recipe, but I say talent, motivation and opportunity. So the talent slash ability is, you know, what people will recognise. The motivation obviously has to come from the individual. So like you said, you know, it was always kind of a bit of a passion, but it wasn't until maybe, like you said, the, the 12 or 11, 12-year-old stage where you thought, actually now I need to like you said, start taking it seriously but like you said the, the credit that you give to your dad there I think is you know spot on and he's obviously massively helped you in that because the opportunity of number one tra- taking you to these places you know meeting people to be able to like you said he you know shook the, the the director's hand and things like that I mean depending on if people don't have the opportunity to do that they may never get the chance to actually go out and play and you know the opposite they may get an opportunity really early, but then the motivation may lack because they've almost been pushed into it almost. Exactly. exactly. So, yeah, I think it's big credit to that one, like you said, in terms of the nature, the nurturing, sorry, almost of gradually getting you into a position where it's your choice and you really feel passionate about wanting to do that. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I thought I thought my dad handled it pretty well, to be fair to him. Um, and it, it's helped me. And it'll be interesting. Be interesting how how I handle my kids as they as they get a little bit older and they, they try and play the game. And do you know what I mean? Of course. Uh, so 
so it, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. But no, I thought I thought he did, I thought he he handled it really well, and it also get made me realize the difference in the levels. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It made me understand. Oh wow, you're going to I don't know. He took me to a number of clubs, but just say West Brom. Like you're going into West Brom now, and it's different. You know, it's it's different. You you have to bring it every day. You know, you have to show that you're good every single day. Um, which for a 13 year old, for a well, for a 10 year old, for a 12 year old, you don't you don't get that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think- was I was just touching that right age where I I got it. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I I understood. Yeah, I was gonna say because I think there is that sort of turning point almost because I was gonna say obviously like you said originally you know you got involved in football because you saw it happen um, through like family playing and obviously friends and social factors are such a big reason as to why so many people get involved in football and like you said you know you could talk to your friends probably about a cup final which you played you know many years ago and right. it was probably for a trophy which you, you may or may not remember the name of but it was just because you was playing with your friends at that time and I suppose how how is that and how do you adapt when you go into an environment where actually now you're not just playing well you are playing for fun because you still enjoy the game yeah. obviously but you're now getting taught and educated about the game and to try and technically make you better and to give you that game understanding how do you have to adapt to that yeah, you well, you you have to, don't you? And I think that's what I was trying to trying to get at with how I was uh, I was like thirteen, and I had yeah. I was a little bit more mentally aware, and do you know what I mean? I, I I had the mental capacity to take a little bit more in and understand that I'm going to grow now, and if I'm dedicated and if I'm focused, you'll see, you'll evolve, you'll get better, you'll grow, and opportunities will come with that. Yeah. Um, but I also think that like. It's funny because you you look at the when I would play with my friends, and then when you play like with players who are as good as you, if not better than you, sometimes you know the different levels. I almost think that element of fun, what you when you play with your friends, that element of freedom, yeah, just doing whatever when you do whenever, like trying to make funny and mate, stick it through his legs or flick it over his. Do you know what I mean? Flick it yeah. over his head. I almost think that gets lost. And yeah. I think that's that's part of you're starting to see now like English football's producing more players that have that little bit of freedom. And I think that's an involvement of um like coaching in England. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I think you have to have that fun, that freedom, that environment where you can express yourselves. Yeah. And I think that was lost for a long time. And it was all about, you have to pass the ball here. You have to do this. You have to do that. So then those players get lost. And what they're good at, they don't end up doing. Yep. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of like the two entities that you've got to kind of mix the 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 professionalism and the you know what it takes to get to the next level. But you also have to understand that that fun element And I thought I was really fortunate in the coaches that I had that even at West Brom, they made it fun. They made it enjoyable. And it wasn't just because I loved the game. Like the environment that they created was like enjoyable. It was like you wanted to go there. I think this is a big thing as well. I mean, now obviously on the uh, FA courses, they talk about, you know, creating and setting the environment. And I think this is a big element of it because I always say to a lot of uh, players, 
the thir- first thing that attracts a player to a club is the badge. So it's right. the identity of, wow, I'd love to be able to play for a club with that badge. I'd love to be able to represent that badge on my, on, my, on my crest and, you know, that sort of part of it. But really and truthfully, it's the relationships which are built, like you said, with the coaches, because there, for example, you, you know, you still remember your coaches who allowed you to enjoy the game and, and develop and, you know, make a real passion for you. But then at the same time as well, like you say, it's that environment that's being set because, you know, there's hundreds of clubs now, obviously they're playing at different levels and things like that. But a lot of players often go to the ones which they think are the big earners or the ones which will give them best potential. But sometimes it may just be being in an environment where, like you said, you can express yourself and you can be free in what you're doing. And the fear that I get sometimes is that a lot of, um, or say scouts or coaches, whatever you want to phrase it as, they get these players in based on what they initially see and think, wow, now this player has blown my mind, unbelievable uh, technical traits, unbelievable characteristics. And then they mould them into a perceived, you know, club A player. And then it's right. like you just said, it's all lost. And it's like, well, yes, they've become your player, but they're no longer the reason as to why you brought them in in the first place almost. Yeah. I think I think a lot of these, there's so many, so many kids that get scouted, so many players that get, and they're just put into like this huge pot. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, you kind of left, they're left alone and some flourish, don't get me wrong, but the ones that don't flourish, everybody needs different attention. Yeah. You know what I mean, it goes back to those relationships. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think maybe clubs are evolving now and changing and I know they are and they're doing things differently, but get into, get into know a kid, get into understand a kid, get into see what communication the kid needs. Do you know what I mean? That yeah. can enhance his football ability. Yeah. Whereas when they're in this big melting pot, melting pot, sorry, and you're just like, I don't know, Tommy, what are you doing? Andrew, this, all these different kids. But the same communication, the same instruction, like everybody's just put in the same pot yeah. and some come through, some don't, but that's not necessarily how everybody develops. Do you know what I mean? And I think yeah. that's the hardest thing. You Clubs, managers, coaches, there's more to it than just a kid can play. A kid has the good athleticism, you know, a kid has all the tangibles to become a pro. Yeah. But like you have to, I just feel like there has to be more attention paid to to the mental side of it. Yep, I agree. I think I think as well, like, you know, a big part of it, like you said, is the mental side, so the psychological element of it, but then also as well, just their characteristics and their personality traits. I mean, so often when you strip a footballer down from the technical elements alone, I mean, you know, we all see and base things on the technical elements because obviously that's right. that's the game of football. But when you break people down and see their personality and characteristic traits, you start seeing things in such a different light and seeing what values and, you know, kind of traits they can offer the team in different areas. I mean, like I said, you know, something that really struck me about your your career and whether it was the player and also now um, coach and manager is your ability to be able to adapt in different environments. So obviously, like you said, you play for a few different clubs, you've played for clubs in different countries, you're now manager in, managing in a different country as well. And you know how, how do you how how did you adapt to settling into a new environment every time and 
almost I know obviously America is a English speaking language yeah. but obviously totally different culture how how was that and how did you have to adapt to that yeah I think I learned to be honest with you and to be straight up um when I went to Denmark yeah. I didn't I didn't adapt as a player I didn't I didn't handle it well um I struggled being away from home I struggled being in cold weather, I struggled with a language I had no idea about. But I think looking back now, I never fully integrated myself. Okay. I never fully threw myself into the Danish culture, the Danish mentality, the Danish way of life, how Danish people think. I was kind of that young, uh, inexperienced, arrogant almost. Yeah. I'm English, I'm going to be better than everyone else. Do you know what I mean? And I just feel like I always like say to my to my wife, like the one regret that I that I have is I wish I could go back to Denmark and actually enjoy what I had and the opportunity I had. Because looking back now and seeing it, you're just like, God, what was I doing? Yeah. You know? um, and I think I learned... That's what I learned. So now the, the one thing that I always said when I, whenever an opportunity came to, to go to another country, to experience another culture, I always wanted to throw myself into that culture, throw myself into the opportunity and make sure I'm getting, getting the most out of it and maximising that opportunity. Um, sorry, my daughter's come to say hello. Um, and I think that for me was the, the biggest learning curve and the biggest thing that, that I took from going into going into Denmark, Denmark and not really not really giving myself the opportunity to succeed. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I, would you say as well, because I mean, sometimes I, I say this with players and obviously I'm not saying necessarily your experience was this, but um, I think sometimes it's so important to uh, experience and I'm going to use this word here, but I think a lot of English people will perceive it as a negative word, but failure. And yeah. we look at failure in such a negative light because, you know, you know, oh, we can't fail at this. We can't have or experience failure. But I think it's such an important thing to happen. And I know it sounds bad, but I think it's almost important to set players up to fail almost in certain occasions, obviously not all the time before some right. people start saying, you know what, but I think it's so important because like you just said there, because you've experienced that and you've had to overcome that. I mean, look where it's taking your, your career, not only as a player, but then now as a, a manager to what you've been able to go on to do, because you've been able to reflect on those experiences and think, you know, what went wrong? Why did it go potentially wrong? What could I have done better? And now like even just through here and what you're saying here, you know, you're saying, well, actually, I would love to be able to go back and do the opportunity again um, to be able to do things differently. And uh, do, do you agree that that's kind of something which is important to almost experience? Completely, mate. It's, I think it's huge. I think it's, it's okay. To, it's okay to fail. Yeah. You know, we all, we all fail at something. We're, nobody's perfect. Yeah. You know, like I made mistakes this past season. I made mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes as I move forward. But I think the how you look at failure and how you look at mistakes um, and reflecting, yeah. you know, looking at yourself, reflecting and being honest with yourself. 
not making excuses up. Oh, well, it was the player's fault or it was his fault or my staff didn't do this or the referee didn't do this. Like looking at yourself honestly yeah. and reflecting, then you, you then it enables you, you to be in a position where you have an opportunity to grow. You know, you have an opportunity to learn, to get better. Um, and if you're looking in the mirror and saying, oh, I'm blaming him or blaming the scenario or whatever it is, you're not going to grow. Yeah. And I think you have to, you have to be able to understand that you're going to make mistakes, that you're going to fail, but you can grow from those failures. You can grow from those mistakes. And if you have that mindset, you, you're always going to have a chance or an opportunity because you're constantly striving to get better. You're constantly striving to be a better person first and foremost, and then in this profession, be a better coach. Yeah, of course. I, I think you, know, you hit now on the head there almost with the reflection element. I mean, that I agree that that's something which probably I've only started doing over maybe the last six or seven years. And I, I, that's my regret that I didn't start doing that earlier because until you actually reflect, you don't understand and right. you know you don't you just you just see things happen or things naturally come across your path and you think well that's happened and then you either move on or you potentially look back at it but it's not a reflection it's kind of just that's happened and you know i wish it didn't happen but it did um but i think that you know almost from a coach's perspective and this is what I, when i'm trying to mentor coaches i talk to them quite a lot about this of when you reflect and you know you're putting in your challenges for players and you're setting your session up again as coaches, we always focus so much purely on the technical elements, but like we said about the psychological elements and, you know, that mindset of being able to have a growth mindset, I always say that every session almost needs to incorporate, whether it's in the session or out of the session or in a match, um, decision-making and problem-solving, because actually that reflection is problem-solving. It's, you know, like you said, why has this happened? There's a barrier here potentially, um, you know, how am I ever going to come this barrier and what is going to help me to have success whichever success is for the individual or for organizations in the future almost. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah. I think it gives you having the reflection and honest reflection and then you understanding that reflection and understanding where the mistake is yeah. enables you to really dig deep into that mistake. Do you know what I mean? And once you dig deep into that mistake, it gives you an opportunity to figure it out and grow. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's the, it's the actual honest reflection. It's the understanding. And then it's the willingness to do the work to grow and get better and learn from it. Yeah. I, I always talk about experiences as well. I mean, like, say, for example, when you, you're a player anyway within a team, you obviously have peers and teammates and even learning from their experiences. I mean, often we reflect on our own stuff, but also reflecting on their experiences and, you know, how have they potentially overcome things and how have they potentially come up against issues and, and why has that happened almost? So I think it's looking at it from the individuals, but then also from a collective element almost. Sure, for sure. The one thing that I try to that I, well, I, I try to live by, I try to coach by, and it's such a small thing. Um, I had, I had a really close relationship with my dad's mom, my nan. Yeah. And uh, before she passed away, she said to me, she said, treat people as you want to be treated. And then, but then, and then she said, never dismiss anyone because you can learn from anybody. And it's yeah. so true. 
It's yeah. so true in life. It's so true in the game. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of arrogance. There's a lot of oh, I'm a coach at a professional club. I'm not talking to you. You coach the local the local pub team. Like why? Yeah. Like, Same agree. game. I agree. I've, do you know what? That's such a lovely quote as well because so often, like you said, people have either stature or so they again, I mean, I often tend to try and not use it and I would love to be able to reflect a lot of my thoughts and ideas on there, but things like Twitter, you know, there's yeah. so many influences on Twitter. And I think sometimes that the bigger influence you are, the you can almost say anything and, you know, people believe it and they buy into it. Whereas, you know, somebody else who maybe has a couple of followers and, you know, could be just as knowledgeable and just as experienced, but because they're not as deemed as socially accepted almost on these platforms, their voice right. isn't heard. And, and a lot of the time as well, whenever I come into contact and I mentor coaches, one of the first questions they always ask, uh, probably almost before they ask what my name is, is what coaching qualification do you have? And it annoys me so much because I often say to people, you know, for me anyway, and just through my experiences, for me, coaching qualifications are job indicators and not ability indicators. There are so yeah. many, you know, pro license, A license, B license coaches who, you know, have great knowledge, don't get me wrong. But then there's some also who have just achieved the qualification. Whereas, like you said, there could be a, a local dad or a local mum who's in charge of a, a local grassroots side and their passion and their understanding and their learning for actually what's in front of them and that's developing those children is next to none. Whereas yeah. almost as you grow up the ladder, the influence almost becomes yourself and it's you know how high can i grow rather than when you first started out it's all about you know developing the children and you know putting these sort of ideas and philosophies of how i can create these children to become better players and individuals really so yeah. it's such an interesting one it is i think um it's funny because one of our one of my values one of the club values here is humility okay you know, and I, I think it's such a such a huge trait. Um, and if you look at, even in England now, if you look at the top coaches, Mourinho, Klopp, Guardiola, they're humble. Yep. You know? Yes, they have a perceived persona that the press portray. But when you look deep into these guys, they're humble. You know, they, they show humility. They're down to earth. You know, and I, I think that's something that something that you you can't teach. I agree, but you, you, but you have to you have to have. Yeah, because I think as well, even you know, learning things not only technically things, but also like I said about their personality and characteristics. I'm so big on that because you know the way in which people speak to other people. You know, what's their tone of voice? What's their body language? How much are, are they actually speaking and not listening? Or are they speaking and listening and understanding? So it's, it's such an interesting thing. And I think even from a sort of player to a coach perspective, you know, a lot of the time I spoke to a lot of players and they say, you know, I was a player and, you know, I'm taking these things on board, but I'm, I'm seeing it through the vision of this is what I need to go out and do and perform. For right. you, how did it kind of change? Did you always want to try and be a coach or, or go into that sort of management route? Or No, not at all. It's funny. I was, um, as a player, I don't, that some players do think that way. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I think they're very, there's a small minority of players that think that way. Yeah. Like as a player, 
you're selfish. You yeah. want to come to training. You want to have a good session. You, you want to go home, relax, chill out, do whatever you want to do. And you're just thinking about the next day's training session and the game at the weekend. Yeah. Um, so I never fully buy into people that say, yeah, I knew I was going to be a coach and this and that. I just never fully understood that or believed that because I just know how I was as a player and yeah. I just never, ever thought about it. Now, coming towards the end and I realised, like, you know, you're not going to make all this money, you're not going to play at the levels that you always desired to, then you start to open your mind a little bit and try and figure out, well, what is next? What, yeah. what am I going to do? Um and for me, I was fortunate that in North Carolina, in Wilmington, I had um, an English coach, Dave Irving, who was very old school. And he kind of, he was getting on a little bit and he kind of just like would say, oh, Briggsy, run the session today while I was still a player. So I kind of like got through in at the deep end and just ran with it a little bit. Do you know what I mean? And then that kind of gave me a little bit of a, a hunger for it, a desire for it. And then at the end of that season, instead of uh, coming home to England, uh, one of the local youth clubs um, came and approached me and said, hey, like, we know you're coming back like next year. Why don't you stay and coach one of the youth teams? Okay. And I was like, okay, like, why not? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I ended up coaching a U12 girls team okay. um, and they were like the second, the second team. They had four teams and they were like the second team, some okay players. And, um, and I just fell in love with it. I loved it. Um, and the fact like the girls, like getting to understand the girls, learning how to communicate with the girls, you know, learning how to handle the parents um, while also trying to, implement your beliefs um, and making it fun uh, and that for me like just made me that was that's the reason I'm a coach today you right. know and in my, in my office at the training ground in my office at the stadium I've got a picture of the, that U12 girls team because um, I wouldn't I wouldn't who knows what I would have done if I hadn't have you know if I hadn't come across that group of girls yeah of course um, and then it kind of kind of evolved you know and you um evolved from coaching the girls to running the academy for the club and then you kind of you know you it's a little bit of a bigger scale a little bit a little bit more you're managing a uh, different people and trying to implement still your philosophy your beliefs while also treating people correctly speaking to people properly you know, giving everybody a chance to talk, giving everybody a chance to um, feel comfortable enough to give an opinion, you yeah. know, especially a staff. Um, and then for me, like understanding, like I love giving the kids at that point, making it fun. Yep. You know, I, like I'm such a big believer in that. And even to this day, like I'm, try and make my sessions with the first team fun. Yeah, I, th I think it's something which is lost so much because people, 
don't know. I don't know if they think that adults can't have fun, but they just get to a point where it's kind of like, you know, now because potentially results matter and now because, you know, there's a bit of pressure potentially on the individual's head as well, that everything has to be sort of routine and structure. But I agree with you. I think, you know, I I do sessions with five-year-olds and then I also do the same sessions with 25-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get the same element because ultimately everyone enjoys being being around football number one obviously mm-hmm. and foremost but then second of all everyone enjoys having a little bit of fun um mm-hmm. and i think obviously there's certain things sometimes when i put um some of like the, the fun or uh, put it out there a bit crazy or wacko looking sessions sometimes yeah. coaches reflect and go that would never work with my group of players why would you do that when would you do that but i think that's the key thing when so, you know, you might not do it a day before. Well, you actually, you're going to say you might not do it a day before the final, but you may do it a day before the final because it's actually yeah. to kind of ease the players that you have and, you know, to take their yeah. mind off of it a little bit. But it's, yeah, yeah. I think it's the key elements of people always enjoy having fun and just for coaches to understand why you're doing that and whether it's to bring back that group unity, whether it's to motivate individuals or whether, like you said, it's just to kind of, you know, let things drop for a little bit and just actually enjoy the game what we're all here to do I think it's about um, being a coach you have to like be able to read the pulse of your team do you know yeah. what I mean read, read the pulse of the environment you're in um, and understand and pick the right moments to make it fun do you know what I mean there's always you can always have an element of fun I always say to my um my strength and conditioning, my sports scientists, when they're, when they're warming the players up, when they're getting them ready before they come to me, like make it fun, have a bit yeah. of banter with them, communicate, get the vibe right, get the, get the culture right. So when they come to me, they're not, they're not like, Oh my God, we've done the same warm up again, you know? So when they come to me, they're a little bit bubbly, they're ready to go. Do you know what I mean? And then you can, then you can get the most out of people. Of course. Um, it's like something I like to I like to do my work, my preparation, the first four days of the week. If you go in Saturday to Saturday, yeah. um, for example, if I if we played on a Saturday and do a call down on a Sunday, usually give them Monday off, then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, that's my work, that's my preparation, that's where I get the meat and potatoes of the week. Right then, yeah. do you know what I mean? And then Friday. Day before a game, take the pressure off, relax, make sure everybody understands what's expected and what we're going into. But, you know, go and do your, uh, go and have fun. And we always, I actually searched last off season, I searched online for like this terrible jersey. <laughs> it's like awful. And I, I found like this shocking goalkeeper jersey. Right. And, um, my kit man's Argentinian and he always says a bad player's a tronco. Right. So on the back of this jersey, it's got tronco. <laughs> you know, and uh, every Friday, the day before a game, we'll we'll play small sided. Um, and it gets competitive and intense. But <laughs> like, the winning the winning team votes for the worst team, and then the worst team, worst player has to wear the tronco jersey. Nice. And it's just something, it's just it's old school. A lot of people probably do it, um, but it just takes the edge off. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It just takes the edge off it and the players enjoy it and it creates a bit of banter. It creates a bit, creates, you know, it, it enhances your culture. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I think even just through listening to that, you know, you can automatically tell it's something that you'd want to be involved within. Now, a lot right. of the time when coaches, you know, you might say to a coach, well, watch the session today. And they may go on for about 20, 30 minutes explaining what the session is. Most of it goes over your head because there's just a lot of words. There's a lot of right. words, potentially with not a lot of meaning behind it. Whereas, you know, you're just saying, and, and that is so simple. Like you said, you know, potentially a lot of people may potentially do it, but it's something which you're doing. It has a purpose and it brings out, like you said, that fun and that enjoyment within players. Do you, do you kind of think, I mean, it's a hard question and sometimes I don't like this word, but you know, your philosophies or your coaching beliefs or values, do you think they almost came from when you was a player? So like that, say for example, is something which you would have loved to have done, you know, match day minus one, relax, small side of games, just like you said, create the environment that you want to go into um, or was this kind of built through sort of experience of other coaches or your coaching qualifications when you went through them I say it was a, a mixture of all the above to be honest okay uh, primarily my experiences as a player yeah like I came through I had it's interesting so I came through the academy system at West Brom and I had I had two coaches that looking back now, I was so fortunate to have um, in John Truick and Richard O'Kelly, who's now Aston Villa's first assistant coach. Okay. Um, and the things that they taught, they were almost like 10 or 15 years ahead of themselves when you look at it now and realize like how fortunate I was to, to actually have and what they were teaching, what they were communicating about, what they were telling us to do and they were very good at creating this environment where as a player you you didn't have shackles on yeah. you know you 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 felt comfortable expressing yourself trying like a difficult pass trying like to take somebody on um, and then as I got into the pro ranks that kind of disappeared and I think that really affected me as a player because it was, I never had, I never had a coach that understood me as a pro. I never had a coach. It was all very much, this is what, this is how I want to play. This is what you're going to do. If you don't do it, you're out, mm. you know? Um, and I, so I think I'm the reason I, I'm the, the way I am because first and foremost of that experience I got to see both elements of it coming through the academy system. Now, I know there's not as much pressure on the academy system and things like that, but the, you can still treat people the right way, yeah. you know? And then as I got into pro football, I won't mention names, but there was a coach who, looking back, I learned a lot from, but it was all, a, it was all I'll never be that way. Yep. You know, I'll never do some of the things that I witnessed in that dressing room. I'll never treat people like the way I saw some of the conversations happen. Um, so it was it was good that at an early age, especially for me now, looking back as a coach, at that moment, I have no clue. Of course. You know, yeah. but being able to look back now, I'm like, I was pretty fortunate. Um, so no, but I think when people talk about philosophies and how you want to play the game I think what gets lost is good old-fashioned like hard work yep you know I think a lot of things nowadays you want to talk about 
I want to play football. I want to build out. I want X to go here. I want Y to go here. Great. That's brilliant. But like, I think people forget to talk about you have to work your nuts off. Yeah. Like you have to work hard. You have to win your individual battles. You have to earn the right to play. Do you know what I mean? It's like the the simple things that the non-negotiables I call them. Running. That's a that's a non-negotiable. Yeah. You know? Communicating. That's like a non-negotiable. Those things tend to be forgotten about. Um, and for me, that that's like the first, that's the first element of my philosophy. It's hard work. You know, because yeah. if, if you don't have that, everything else is irrelevant. Yeah. Everything else is irrelevant. Um, then obviously on top of that, I, I feel like, you know, you have to have a structure. You have to have a structure. You have to have a, an idea and an identity. Um, so I'd probably say hard, hard work, structure, um, freedom. I think, uh, like we've spoke about, creating that, creating that environment of being comfortable, being free to express yourselves, being free to to play the game and to 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 try things. Yeah. I think that's why we all fell in love with the game, right? That's why we love the game. You, Like I grew up and I, I loved like Rude Hullet, Marco Van Basten, Lofa Mateus, Maradona, Paul Gascoigne. You know, even those names that I've just reeled off, they played with a freedom. Do you know what I mean? They, they just played the game they loved and they expressed themselves. Of course. Um, and I think that's, that's probably... So, and then the last one would be like desire because you, you have to have a desire to individually be the best and that desire from my standpoint, the desire to make the collective as hungry as they possibly can to be the best they can. Of course. I, I think what's quite interesting as well, just through listening to that, it's almost from what you said so far, your identity is a reflection of you as an individual and the experiences which you've been through. You know, some of those words that you, you, you reeled off there in terms of the freedom, the creativity, you know, like you said, when you first got involved in football, that's what you wanted to do. You know, you wanted to be free. You enjoyed that element of it. Um, the bit about the desire, you know, you've always said that you wanted to, you wanted to make it as a professional and you wanted to carry on wherever the opportunity took you. That was what you've done. And it's positive and, and, and pleasing to the ear to hear that now you're putting that almost onto the players which you're dealing with because again I feel that so often more than not and you know like you said you know people like your your Klops your uh, Mourinho's and um, you know your Pep Guardiola's like you said they have a humbleness about them but what people see is like you said sometimes the way in which the media portray them and coaches often will see something like you said it's the fancy words of playing out from the back the you know the tick attacker when you break tick attacker down it's passing and receiving the ball it's movement on and off the ball so yeah. and again like we said we overcomplicate it so much but like i said just through hearing what you're saying as well is that if you have an identity it's so important that you bring out your own identity almost don't get me wrong you can take bits of 
things from here and there through experiences or through observation. But when you try and replicate somebody else's identity, it's going to be so much harder to actually relay that message onto players because you don't have the experience, you don't have the understanding and you don't have the knowledge behind why, how, where and when they're doing these things. But you do because you've experienced that and you've gone through that. So, yeah. I think you can, I think you can, uh, like I said earlier, you can learn from anyone. Yep. I think there's, as you, as you have these experiences and you go through these moments in your coaching career, your coaching development, um, you understand what you want to do from a tactical standpoint. But I think it's extremely important. You never lose sight of who you are, you know, and making sure that your team replicates yourself and your values. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's hugely important. Now, now how you, how you instruct those and how you teach those are done, done in different ways, right? Every different people do it different ways. And, some are successful, some aren't. Um, but you have to understand what you perceive to be to be successful, and then implement those ways and teach those ways. And I think as long as you're doing what you perceive to be your way and the right way, uh, in my opinion, um, yeah. then you people can people can understand that and people can buy into that. Um, and then on top of that, the, the humility elements. What one thing that I, I was blown away by, um, like people talk about Jose Mourinho, and he has like a perception in the press, you know. And if you look at all the press and you look at his interviews, you'd you'd think, oh, he's arrogant. I was fortunate enough that when we were at Rail Salt Lake, um, I got to coach against Manchester United and Mourinho was the coach. Um, and before the game, I was walking out onto the field to to, to set up or whatever. And um, he pulled me to the side. And a couple of days before, there'd been an article go out on me back home on Sky Sports News, I think it was. Um, and he said to me, he said to me, um, great article the other day. Um, maybe we can chat afterwards. And I was like blown away. Do you know what I mean? I was kind of like, holy, that's like Mourinho kind of thing. And then he, after the game, like he took the time and spoke to me for like 10, 15 minutes. Wow. He just spoke to me just about football, like me and you were talking there. And like um, that, like for me was like, just like mind blowing, you know, one of the best coaches in the world had took the time to spend 10 minutes with me and nobody and just talk football with me. And I like, it just reiterated if somebody of somebody that successful, somebody of that stature can be so humble and can take the time to just have a normal conversation. Why, why can't I, why can't you, why can't we all be that way? Yeah. No. And that was that was an experience that kind of like I just so fortunate to have been able to have that. But now, like when I see him on the TV, and I, I've got so much respect for him, just because he took five minutes, ten minutes to talk to me, to just talk to me about football, 
it's, it's interesting as well because those are the things where you know like you said you know we're doing it now we're just talking about football and you know people underestimate the power of that and you sometimes see people in certain positions and you like you said you think oh, they would never listen to me they'd never give me the time of day to do that but everyone has that common ground which is football and I think you know people like yourself people like Mourinho you know they want to continue learning their games are never ending in terms of you know I know everything and you know they're always like again Mourinho and yourself always in different experiences different environments and I think like you say it's that humility where it's kind of just you know these are people in the same industry as me and we know that coaching can be so tough at times not only because of obviously the situations you have to go through where it's sometimes there's a bit of pressure where you have to win games but also the opinions and I talk about this so much that people will have an opinion um, and you know like you said just listening to each other where you're saying about why you're doing things and how you're doing things it's such an honest and open approach and so pleasing to hear that coaches are actually doing that because a lot of the time it's me, 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 and not yeah. very much we. So yeah. it's, yeah, it's pleasing to hear that. But then in terms of, because obviously, again, comparing the, the two of you together, um, you know, you, you're now in a situation where you're in charge of a first team and, you know, there is that slight pressure because you're in a league or competitive league and, you know, there's an element of, you know, the fans as well wanting results. How do you find yourself in that situation now? Is there still that element of taking it back all the way from when you first started of, this is football, of course, I want to try and win. Um, then going into that medium part where it was with the under 12 girls of, I want to develop players. But yeah. now there's an element of pressure of winning games and you know creating something almost for the fans. Yeah, I think you, you, you never have to lose sight of that, right? Um, Ultimately, if I don't win games, I lose my job. You know, um, that's that's just a simple fact. Um, I think once you understand that, and once you know that that's just the way it is, you don't necessarily focus on it. Of course, like I don't, I don't focus on winning games, winning an individual game, winning a title, winning a championship. That that's not the focus. I think for me, the environment for me and my staff making that an enjoyable environment yeah making it somewhere that i want to go every day making it you know having people around me that i enjoy uh, that i respect um that's that's huge um and then making sure that everybody related with the football club understands that they play a pivotal part in our success you know it's um yes i may be the person that's the face and that's just the job but yeah. there's so many people that play pivotal roles in you being successful the team the club being successful and i think the if you can create that environment create that atmosphere where everybody understands their value yeah you have a you have an opportunity to to be successful um you know and successful successful for me in my environment is to win football matches you know yeah. um but also success for me is developing players making players feel that 
God, I got better when I worked under Mark. I improved when I worked under Mark. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Mark taught me X, you know. that That's winning for me. That's success for me. Having a player say they enjoyed playing under me, that's success for me. Yeah. You know? So there's different ways of being successful. Um, but I think ultimately the all those elements that I just spoke about with the players that give you a better opportunity to win. Of course, as a collective, yeah. isn't it? It was almost yeah. everything's being built together. I agree. I think, you know, again, fans will have their opinions and, you know, quite rightly so because it's a team that's sport and they're passionate. But then just like yourself, you know, like you said, you're passionate about developing the players. The players, the, the, uh, the players are passionate about developing themselves, but then also the knock-on effects for those two elements are that, like you said, well, if we're all developing at the same stage and we're all having this good understanding and we're almost meeting our individual roles, responsibilities and successes, then the whole team as a collective achieves. Um, and obviously it's quite incredible to see some of the accolades that you have achieved so far um, in, you know, say a relatively short amount of time, but, um, you know, in terms of, you know, the uh, winning of championships um, and also I know that you was coach of the year as well. And does, does that kind of, give you a bit of a not stamp of approval but make you feel do you know what this is part of that reflection almost I suppose think do you know what something's going right here or what I've what I'm implementing is working um that's that's obviously I guess what you get I guess the year that we won the championship and we I got voted coach of the year I think the most the most um satisfying thing for me was going back and watching the games yeah and seeing the football that was played the the style of football the amount of goals the freedom which the players played with the determination the desire which the players showed that's that's the most satisfying for me yeah um, it's nice to to have the accolades. Obviously, that that enhances your career, that enhances your name, that enhances your brand, so to speak. But the the um, seeing players and hearing players talk about the enjoyment they had that year, the enjoyment within that environment, that's the most satisfying for me. Yeah. Um, having players say that they they got better, they loved working under me, they want to work under me again. I think that that's the most satisfying satisfying thing for me, and because that, that's ultimately why why you coach. Yeah, you know, I'd love seeing when I was younger, it was seeing the light bulb go off in a kid's face, in their eyes when they're like, oh wow, yeah, I, you're right, coach. I understand that. That's going to help me. And you still have those moments now, even with professional players. Yeah. The best players, the best coaches, they have a love for the game. They have a desire for the game, but they have a hunger to succeed. And that hunger in succeeding, you can rub off your enthusiasm on a player. You can rub off your enthusiasm on a somebody who sells tickets at the club. You can rub off your enthusiasm on the kit man. Like you can, you, 
if you're enthusiastic and people see like your desire and how much you enjoy what you do, I think that for me enables you to be successful, but enables you to have that environment where people enjoy what they do. Of course. Like I'm, I'm fortunate. Like I, I live in California. I coach a big club and I get to do what I love every single day. You know, I have to make the most of that every single day I wake up um, and not take that for granted. Yeah, I think it's interesting as well, because like you said, I think so often, even when I go into like sessions where there's maybe a coach who's coaching a group of 30 children, you can often feel and sense the environment. And I, I typically say, and you know, don't get me wrong, sometimes it's a bit harsh because you obviously you have individuals and characters who may be slightly different to what the environment they're trying to set. But there is often a reflection of the environment on the individual coach themselves. And like what you're saying there, you know, you know, you're so grateful for where you are. And if you are sort of, you know, preaching that, then the players should hopefully do that as well. And, you know, it goes on to show, like you said, through the accolades and the successes of what's happened so far within your career and with the teams that you've worked with and the players that you've worked with, that that is also shown because, you know, like you said, if you're almost spreading it down from the top, it's almost like you said, filtering down. And it's humbling to hear as well, like you said about the some of the big named coaches as well. And it's it's humbling to hear from yourself that, like you said, it's not just the players, it's not just yourself. It's like you said, it's you know people working in the ticket office, people working in the backroom, your backroom staff, and it's almost that whole family feel, isn't it? That yeah. you know, it's not an environment isn't just on the pitch. The environment is the club, it's the city, it's the town, it's the the state almost. So there's such a big environment which you're trying to build, but is obviously successfully working. Yeah, it's, it's huge. And that's, that's what we're trying to implement here right now, actually, the phase of the club. Uh, the clubs are going in a, um, an exciting direction, moving into yeah. MLS yeah. Um, in the next, next couple, which has been put back, so the next couple of years. Um, but I think it's like, the club won't lose sight of the values and the family atmosphere and the culture. Now, as a coach, uh, you, you, you want to give everybody that opportunity to, yeah. to join in, to be a part of it. Now, some people, you're always going to face different challenges, you know, different, different animals from the different types of players. And you either, you either, you that's where the ruthless element has to come in as a coach yeah um so you have to understand you want to give opportunity to everyone you want to you want to give them that chance to to be a part of it to to play an integral role in what you're trying to do but then you have to also get to a point where yes they're in or no they're not and that's where you have to make the decision. And that's where that ruthless element comes in that you have to have. Yeah. You know, you have, you have to have that to be able to, to be successful. It's yeah. kind of like, I've got, you know, I've got my wife, I've got my, my two daughters, and the, the players, they basically control the food that goes into their mouths. Yeah. You know what I mean? They, and, they have to understand that 
Now I have to be able to trust those players because of that. Yeah. You know, and in because of that, I have to be ruthless. Um, but I don't. I think sometimes that gets lost. You know, that gets lost of the importance of running, <laughs> the importance of going into a tackle, the importance of putting your body on the line, the importance of if you don't understand something, ask the question. Don't do what you perceive the communication to be. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. I think, like I said, it's the understanding. And it's also as well, like you said, as part of that honesty and that sort of, you know, reflection of, like you said, that understanding what this actually means and the messages which are actually coming out of that, that, you know, like you said, it's if these players aren't doing that, it's, it's those slight moments, really. I mean, like you said, you know, a player might say, I, I only didn't run back once, but that one time they didn't run back, you know, think of the knock-on effect in which that could potentially have. I mean, from your prospect or your perspective, sorry, that you may think, well, do you know what? That player hasn't put in the effort. All of a sudden, like you said, sometimes, you, especially in the positions which you're in now, you're going to have to be ruthless. That might be them out of the team. That might be that young gem who's come in to take their place and they are running. They haven't missed one opportunity where they're not running back because they've seen what's happened to the last player and they've got that desire, which you mentioned about you're trying to create. And they've got that, um, you know, that humility of, you know, what well, actually I'm doing this for Mark. I'm doing this for Mark's family. I'm doing this for my family. I'm doing this for my state. I'm doing this for my, my area. That, that player who didn't make that one opportunity to run back has almost now, just because it's one moment, but has now lost that opportunity almost. Yeah. It's an understanding of one, the importance of each individual game uh, two, the importance of each individual play. Yeah. You know, like every pass matters, every movement matters, every reaction matters. Um, I think that's, that's something that when I coach my players, like I'll never have a go at them or get on them um, for, for making a mistake. Like I'll, I'll never do that, but I will, I will get on them if they don't react from that mistake. Yeah. Um, I think that's two different things, right? Of course. Um, but for me, the reaction, the reaction is pivotal. You know, the reaction is um, football's about trying things. Football's about expressing yourself. Football's, um, about being creative do you know what I mean and you never want to take that away from a player from your team um, but you do want them to understand they're a part of the team and that reaction is pivotal for the team's success yeah definitely you know, that's something that I constantly people make fun of me in the front office especially this year because we've had no fans so, uh, you know, they can hear me screaming, <laughs> react, <laughs> you know. But I think it's interesting because, like you said, that, that reaction for me is when you strip it all the way back to even coaching, you know, players who are just five, six-year-olds trying to develop, that element we spoke about of making players be able to become decision makers. The reaction is a decision. It's a decision which the players are now making based on what you want from them, what they've experienced in the past, what they're experiencing face up against them. And like you said, that having the understanding of, okay, I need to react. How am I going to react? And why am I reacting? What am I trying to achieve? And 
Right. How am I going to achieve it? So, yeah, I agree. I think that, like, like I said, the reaction element is, is, is so important to help them overcome that. It is interesting. So I've had um, a couple of players who are, they were on two different teams, two different players that were arguably the best, the best player. They were a player that I needed, a player that was going to be a difference maker. But their reactions were terrible terrible um and that's when as a coach you you have to you have to adapt right um but don't go away from your values that's a massive value of mine that i i don't care what player it is like you have to you have to do that yeah um but it took me a lot of time in making them understand why that reaction so pivotal yeah and then players are selfish, right? They want to understand that, well, why is this going to help me? How is this going to make me better? That's yeah. ultimately what they want to know. And as a coach, you have to figure out, first of all, to point out the problem, make them see that problem, then make them understand that problem and also show them how the collective of that is going to fix the problem and make them a better player. Yeah. You know, um, and it was interesting because I had two very similar players, very, you know, attacking, very good with the ball, great ability, um, but they didn't have that. And I, I had to do it in two different, completely different ways, but had to, you know, figure out. That's the part I love, you know, figuring out the puzzle. How to, yeah figuring out the puzzle, figuring out how to put it all together and figuring out what gets, how to get you might not be the same way to get the next player, you know? Yeah. But I, that's the element I love in the coaching. Yeah, I agree. I think like you said earlier, and even talking, I think we said it about the start, about being selfish, you know, that is that selfish element. I want to know more about you. Um, I want to understand who you are. I want to understand what makes you tick. I want to make you. I want to understand which what annoys you, which you don't react well off of, what you do react well off of. And I think when you understand and break those things down, that's when you get the best reactions out of people because you know them and you can help them. I mean, it's like say for example with our families. You know, we know and we understand our families, and we know when to say things if someone's annoyed or when to not say yeah. things if someone's annoyed. And it's exactly the same with players and individuals. You know, we learn about these people. And I think sometimes, especially in the football industry and the soccer industry, that say, for example, if you buy a player or a player comes over to a team, the problem is that sometimes there's already preconceived perceptions about them. And whether yeah. that's through a different manager or a different player, I mean, we talk about Mourinho and so many people criticise him with certain players that he's worked with. But, you know, maybe he's had a different understanding of that individual. Maybe that the individual didn't have a, a, a good as understanding about him as a manager. So I think it's so important. And like you said, taking it all the way back to like I said, those five and six year olds, knowing that individual is the primary thing. And then once that happens, you know, it unlocks so many avenues and so many doors. And I think this is what a lot of coaches get wrong, that they see a lot of people as um, units or as teams they don't break them down into the individuals and really get to build those rapports and those relationships with people. And if you don't, it's uh, almost a recipe for disaster. I think you, you just said it right there. Like it's about relationships. 
It's about treating people properly. It's about treating people with respect. It's about talking to people with respect. It's about listening to people. But ultimately, it all boils down to relationships. Yep. You know, um, forming a relationship with everybody, forming a relationship with your number, your starting goalkeeper. Yeah. While also forming a relationship with the academy goalkeeper. Yeah. You know, th- th- those ty- those types of those types of things. It's exactly the same, but it's all about. It all boils down for me to how you treat people, um, and for people understanding. Well, coaches, coaches, pretty easy, you know, to talk to. Um, but then you have to find the fine line, right? Of course. It's all right having the like when I first got to the club, a, a few players struggled with. I liked I like to be close to the players. I'm yeah. pretty personable. I like to communicate with them. I like to make fun of them. Um, but if you don't, if you don't give everything every time you cross that white line, I'm going to tell you. Yeah. No matter whether I've just been making fun of you and talking to you two minutes ago as we walk onto the training ground, like there has to be that change. Like we're here, but this is work. It's going to be fun, but a non-negotiable is working hard. Of course. You know it boils I mean? back down to those responsibilities and roles, doesn't it? Back to your, to your values, to what you believe in. Yeah. You know? um, I think that's, that's hugely important. And once people get that understanding and you stick to your values, then, like I say, they either buy in or they don't. Of course, yeah. I, I think it's interesting. I mean, like I was going to say, you know, just through listening to like I said, your whole journey, there has been a consistency throughout. And I think, you know, it's credit to yourself that of what you've achieved throughout your career as a player and also as a manager now, um, but then also what you're developing and reflecting onto your players. I always kind of say to coaches that when you work with players, ideally, I mean, I know, like you said, sometimes we don't see it as players, but you're almost developing the next uh crop of coaches because if you can give players the understanding and obviously they have the technical ability anyway and they have the experience of being in and around those environments but if you can give them that game understanding you're almost developing a coach because you know you're giving them the tools and and the knowledge and the education so I think yeah it's definitely a big sort of credit to to what you've achieved but um, honestly it's if you look at um, obviously Guardiola Mourinho they've won all these titles but you ask them who their biggest influence is, and it's well for for sure. Pep is Bielsa. Yeah, you know, and if you look at all the Bielsa disciples, so to speak, you know, there's so many of them. Yeah, and they all played for him, or they worked under him. There's so many disciples of him, and I'm sure he takes pride in that rather than yeah. any accolades or any trophies. He takes pride in, he's helped Pochettino get to where he is. He's helped Pep get to where he is. He's helped so many other coaches, top coaches, Diego Simeone. There's so many of them that are all like Bielsa disciples. It's almost like a branch, isn't it? People branching off. I think I saw something similar with Sir Bobby Robson as well. And, you know, it's like a couple of people. And from there, they've all spiraled off. And I mean, you could even say, for example, now Frank Lampard, Jose Mourinho, Jose Mourinho, Sir Bobby Robson. It's yeah. all these different branches. And like you said, it, it's, it's such a, 
accolade to have that you've almost been nurtured by these people and taken on the experiences of playing under them and learning from them to what you then reflect onto these next crop of individuals. Yeah. And if you, if, if you look at the holistic, like the bigger picture of that stuff, and you look at example, Bobby Robson, Bielsa, these guys created an environment, what people thrived in. Yeah. What people wanted to be a part of, you know, and that's why they took so much from it because the environment, the respect, the culture was the way it was. Yeah. Now they've gone away and put their own spin on it. But if you don't have that, people aren't engaged, people aren't learning, people aren't growing. Like it's pivotal. You, you have to create a good environment. And if you don't have that environment, you very rarely see success. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And, and I think as well, sometimes there's a lot of people talk about coaches, but I almost say that just as important as a coach is being a mentor as well. You know, you're a mentor to these individuals. And I think coaches come and go. Mentors are there for almost a lifetime because they're the ones that help and see and develop you through. Whereas coaches, sometimes it's more of that technical element. But um, yeah, it's quite a, almost a contrasting comparison. But um, listen, Mark, been a fantastic discussion so far. Um, I think, like I said, from what you've achieved as a player to now as a manager um, and obviously where you're currently at, it's such an exciting project, I think, what's going on. Um, you know, when I looked into Sacramento Republic and like you said, going into the MLS and even just through what you, you're doing and what you have achieved, I think it's almost a reflection on the club that you're at as well, that, you know, there is that desire, there is that, like you said, that, that, that sort of community that you're creating. Um, if you could, as a sort of a whole, what would your sort of reflection be to say, for example, if there's any upcoming coaches or almost even a younger you as a coach as well, what would your key message be to send out to people? Oh, that's a good question. I think, I think the more the more that I've grown and I guess got to the point where I'm at right now, um, I think having the ability to simplify the message, yeah, is extremely important. I think sometimes as coaches we complicate the game. We complicate the technique. We complicate the situation. Yeah. And I think as a coach, you have, to be, you have to be able to simplify the message to the player. Because if a player doesn't understand your message, you haven't done your job. You know, so I think for me, the biggest thing that I've learned as I've gone, gone through what I've gone through so far um, and speak to me in, a year, two years, three years, four years, five years, it may have changed. Um, I don't think this element of me will. Uh, I think being able to simplify the message is extremely important. Um, and also having the humility to admit you made a mistake. Yeah. Having the humility to... I've had conversations where... I've been talking to a player and they will say something where I'm like, wow, you know, I didn't, I didn't think of that. He's right. Yeah. Sometimes as coaches, we're like, oh, I'm the boss, I'm the coach. Like, I, I can't. Well, no, that's, 
yeah, you might be the manager and you might be the boss, but like you say, being able to say, wow, that that's helped us. Goes back to that collective. That's helped the collective get better. Yeah. Which is what you want. And so for me, I would say being able to simplify the message, um, being humble and relationships, connecting, connecting with whoever it is that's a part of your organization. Yeah. You know, connecting with your player, understanding your player, connecting with your general manager, understanding your general manager, connecting with the tea lady, connecting with the kit man, you know, treating yeah. everybody, treating everybody the same with respect. Of course. I think for me, that's what, that's what I would say to my younger self and to younger coaches, um, you know, stay humble and stay open-minded and you have to stay hungry because yeah. you've never, you've never made it. You win a championship and it's nice for a couple of days, but then a couple of days later, how do I get better? How can we improve? How can we do that again? Yeah. You know, so the understanding of you've you've never made it. You you always have to strive to to get better, to make people better, to make yourself better. I think that's um, that's something that I didn't understand as a younger person, as a younger coach, as a younger professional. That you you never make it. Subscribe to the Daily Coaching Podcast so that you never miss out on an episode.